Hi, I'm Jen. And I'm Jen. Welcome to Marginalia Party. Where we treat reading as a sacred practice and find meaning and connections through our favourite books. I would like to begin by acknowledging the Gurungai and Daru people, traditional custodians of the land where I am recording today, and pay my respects to their elders past and present. I'd also like to acknowledge Tangata Finua of Tafanganui Atara, where I'm recording today. Hello, how is the weather on your side of the world? Mine is very rainy. It is beautiful today. It's a beautiful Wellington day. The sun is out. It's glorious. It's and not I've freezing. I'm recording. I'm so sorry. That's okay. I've been out all day, so it's fine. Okay. You've soaked up your sun. That's good. Yeah. How is the weather in Sydney? We have La Nina 3.0 right now. Um, so I was pleased to note that my shower curtain roof leak catching system works. <laughs> that was exciting. So my sewing space is not covered in water and smelling of roof. Um, but yeah, it's also the fact that it's leaking is very annoying. <laughs> so, mm. But um, yeah, it was a nice enough morning that the kids could go outside and play for a few hours. And then nice. the rain only started at like one thirty. So I'm like, that's not bad. We can live with that. It's uh, looking for the positives. I like it. Exactly. Um, what sparked joy for you this week? Oh, well, it's been a very intense week, but I had my book club on Thursday and it was just so lovely. I really enjoy getting together. You know, it's four other women, only three turned up this week, but that's fine. There's other people I wouldn't see in that situation a lot. So it's just really nice to have this excuse to get together every mm -hmm. month and just talk about things. And we talk about so many different things. Like, yeah, we talk about the book a little bit, but it's often just a jumping out point to talk about loads of other things and it was just so lovely and we were there for hours so we got together at six and we only left at like 9 30 so oh, yeah that. it was great best. um what sparked joy for you this week we have officially picked a name for our puppy that is going to come and live with us yay and the way we did it was i had my niece pick it out of a basket where we had all put our suggestions in except for my husband who is in denial about this happening didn't put any and I said you have to pick a name and he said no so I picked one for him and that turned out to be the name that the dog is going to be named so we are going to be taking home Bella at the end of November and I'm very excited great and I will tell everybody that my husband picked the name out because he loves Twilight and he just has to put up with that because he didn't get he didn't put in a real name so that's my <laughs> little joy for the week amazing <laughs> yeah it's really, it was really nice to see my niece again, actually. I hadn't seen her, and I had presents from Wellington to give her, and we had stuff from Questacon to give her. It was just, like, great to see her and my brother-in-law again, so. Aww. Bella's a great name for a dog as well. Love it. I think that was your top choice, wasn't it? Yeah, it's of great. Like that I told you. Yeah. Because it's a nice, short, two-syllable name, easy for the dog to learn, easy for people to remember, hard to get wrong. Yeah. And I know exactly. a Bella, a pup already called Bella, and she's Aww. a delight. So why not? Why not more Bellas? I've decided my future dog I want to call Theodosia, but Theo for, for sure. Cute. Because I really love the name Theodosia. I don't know why. I've just like really latched onto that recently. So I'm like, yeah, I love Theo. I love her. I love giving a girl dog a name that's sort of like a boy name. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, all of my non-gendered names were like food names, like Noodle and Pickle and Cookie. <laughs> like, they were yeah. food names. Yeah. I just really love giving a, a pet a people name because I just, the, the idea of going to like a dog park and yelling out like Kevin 
when you're looking for a dog being like kevin come here it's just so funny to me so yeah big into the people names well (laughs) i was thinking about something like that too i was like maybe i could just choose like alice or but then i was like oh gosh what if i run into an alice and then i have to explain that my dog is named after them so i had to go with something that was already a dog and a people name (laughs) cute yeah it was i'm really excited it's gonna be a whole learning curve for me to actually train a puppy. I'm scared, but really excited. You'll be fine. You're going to take it to puppy school. It's all going to be okay. Yeah. And I've got, um, there's a, like a training online training course you can do that sort of takes you through like the entire first year. And I'm like, yes, give me that. I want all, I want week by week. This is what I need to be doing. Hmm. Prescriptive. Tell me. I want our family dog to be a joy for everyone and I realize that sometimes to get the joy you have to put in the work like I, almost all the time but I'm like I will put in the work so that this is a long-lasting and good relationship for all of us yay love it oh well uh this week we're reading chapters 7 through 12 through the theme of control uh do you have a story for us about control sure so I was tossing up between a couple of stories for this theme all of them involving my father So my dad is a man who needs to be in control of all times, of all things. For example, if we were traveling, he'd have to be the one holding onto our train tickets or our passports or our boarding passes, and he'll only hand them to you the minute before you need them. And this was just like, and he'll take them back immediately. This is just the kind of man he is. But my father is also incredibly volatile. This means he could go from being fun and like really playful one moment to absolutely incandescent with rage in the next, with no gap in between. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. This made for a somewhat turbulent childhood when my mum and I learned to work around his moods, to anticipate bombs before they detonated, and to circumvent them a lot of the time. My father's moods were something of a running joke for the extended family. You know, everyone would tease him about past explosions about nothing because they weren't contained to our home. They would be anywhere at any time. So people would witness them all the time and people would tease him and everyone would laugh about it, my dad included. Not in the moment, this is like months later or weeks later, but yeah. And everyone would be like, isn't it silly to be mad about such a dumb thing, to feel so much over so little? But it didn't change the behaviour and I didn't understand how you could know something was wrong and still keep doing it. Then I became a teenager and my mood changed and my brain chemistry changed and quite suddenly I was the same. I'd go zero to a hundred in rage and like my father it manifested in behaviour I seemed incapable of controlling. Like Adam in our section this week, I only remembered the act of kicking the box, not the decision to kick it. This came to a head for me when I was 16 and I was studying for an exam. I was highlighting my study notes and I was becoming more and more frustrated at myself for not remembering the thing that I needed to remember until finally I just snapped and the highlighter found itself embedded in my bedroom wall and it stuck there half in and half out and I just burst into tears because I couldn't hide this from my parents firstly and my father does not do well with anyone messing anything up and I was actually terrified of him seeing that and also just because I felt so wildly out of control of my own behavior and my own emotions. I remember coming out of my room and my dad was in the kitchen and I saw him there and I just stood in front of him and I just said really like quietly when you are angry why do you do the things that you do? because I don't understand. And he looked at me and my red and tear-stained face and he said, I don't know, I'm sorry. And then he hugged me and he fixed my wall and he wasn't angry with me and he never said anything about it again. This was a big deal because my father and I, we had an explosive relationship at that time. 
you know, two people with hairpin triggers like that, they're not compatible. And we were always fighting, like explosively fighting. We've come a very long way since then and we're good now. But in a way, I think it's because we've both recognized how deeply flawed we are and were, especially then, and how much we hurt each other. And it's not just my dad either. It's also his family, like my uncle, my cousin, my aunt, my grandfather apparently was the same. Angry people who couldn't control their rage, who were always out of control. I did not want that to be me. I've worked very hard in therapy on this impulse and I wish I could say I never got angry, but that's not the case. There are days where there's a shapeless, nameless anger within myself, without source, without care, and it takes every ounce of self-control I have to hold it down, to register the impulse to kick the moment of the decision so that I can stop the action. So I can breathe deep and, you know, stop that anger from actually bubbling over and into the world. And I think I've mastered that now for the most part. I do feel like I can say that my emotions no longer control me. And mainly I think because there is a younger version of myself that lives in my heart and that asks me every time I'm about to lose it, why do you do the things that you do? I still don't know why I have that impulse. I don't know why I'm angry, but at least I have enough control not to act on it. And I think that's enough. That makes me really tearful. Thanks for telling that story. Um, your dad gets mega points for just recognizing that you needed him to just be cool with it and giving you a big hug. That was like amazingly good dadding at that moment. And I love that you then took the time to like, as an adult, go through and, and assess what you wanted to be like and say, I want to be different than how I know to be. That's huge and hard. And I'm, I'm super proud of you. I'm also a little Thank rage you. monster. So it was really, really hard. It. it was really, because it would have been easy to just lean into it, especially because there's no consequences for the behavior. The fact that everyone just laughs it off all the time. Yeah. Like people, my uncle's tantrums are stuff of legend in my family. Like he once threw a printer out of his office window and that's treated as like, ha ha ha, isn't it funny? And I'm like, actually, that's freaking messed up is what it is. It would have been so easy to do nothing and to just be that way because that's the behavior that was modeled to me. But I did not want to ever feel like that. And, you know, I know that my dad feels terrible afterwards. This is the thing. You do the thing, but you don't feel better. That rage never makes you feel better. So I had to change it. Yeah, it really doesn't. I agree. It's the worst when you're angry and you just can't do anything about it. That's why when I get angry, I'm just like, I'm going somewhere by myself. Thank you. I need to get over it before I can actually do anything. Because I will absolutely lash out if I'm continually prodded. Guess who's here? Is it the disembodied hand? The disembodied hand is Woo, here. Woo, my fave. <laughs> Hi. <laughs> In this house, we love and respect the disembodied hand. Big fan. Yeah, that is, it's a hard thing. It's really hard, especially when you're a teenager everything is so much all of the time anyway it was honestly just such a turning point for me because I just looked at this highlighter sitting at my wall and I was just like why have you done this this has not solved your problem this has not made you feel better in fact you feel worse now because you have the consequences of this action to deal with but also the fact that I could just ask and I think yeah like if I didn't have that moment with my dad it could have gone a lot differently because his reaction would have been very different to it as well so that was a key to the moment Yeah. yeah Should I read our chapter summaries for us? Yes, please. The gray man searches for the gray warren and finds himself charmed by Henrietta, despite all the weird stuff going on with the power outages and the murderous roses. Adam has spread himself very thin and loses his temper at blue. Gansey, Noah, and Ronan spend a little quality time at Dollar City. 
Ronan is vaguely furious at everything, but then, horrifyingly, Noah briefly blinks out of existence. Blue discovers that someone at 300 Foxway is still scrying, but why? And we found out how Ronan likes to find trouble, especially the Kavinsky kind of trouble. Hmm. So let's talk about the Halay line, because I think this is a very big thing that no one in Henrietta can control, and they're so at the whims of this ley line, because, like, it's blowing their power. It's dropping in and out. Like, Noah is blinking out of existence, and he can't control that either. It's just such an act of a loss of control. I I can't help but think that Noah is the connection point between the ley line and the boys before Adam is. So Noah and Adam are sort of different. They're on these almost opposite ends of a spectrum, where they're both connected to the ley line, but... Noah is affected by it, whereas Adam is affecting it unknowingly, even as Mm. he's affected by it. So Noah is subject to it. He doesn't have control over himself. And that kind of ties into when Adam does have control and doesn't have control over himself. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And we'll see this manifest later, right? When it has the, like, they become possessed, right? Like, they completely lose control. So Yeah. yeah, something to definitely watch out for. Yeah. The fourth book is scary in that way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, the ley line's a big one. I I think that I loved the description of the gray man just, like, trying to find this gray warren. And he's walking through someone's back garden and he's looking at how the garden is, like, really beautiful and lush. And then it gets worse and worse and worse. And then at the end, there's this well with these, like, terrifying roses that are growing themselves to death. And I wrote in my book, Adam is the roses. He Mm. was spreading himself so thin that he's actually killing himself. Yeah. It's a metaphor, but that's what I feel. I don't know. I just love the gray man. Like, he is so controlled. Like, everything he does is so controlled. Like, he's annoyed at this car because it doesn't really, like, doesn't give him the control that he really needs. You know, it's just Mm -hmm. like everything, the way he dresses, the way he presents, tightly controlled. But then the machines he uses as well. Like, this is a way to exert control on this force that they don't understand, this unknowable thing. They've got these machines to try and control it. And I'm like, isn't that just us, like, as humans going through life? trying to exert control with all our little gadgets and nonsense when the thing we're trying to control is our own mortality which is we can't control death like that's coming for us regardless but we waste our time with potions and pills trying to control it i was trying to explain this very concept to someone recently where you know they were talking about it was about weight and being a certain weight you're at more risk for things and i just Because we do think that if we work out or like are a certain weight or are a certain shape in certain shape that we'll be able to prevent death or we'll be able to extend our life. But like you could get hit by a bus and be a marathon runner. It's literally no way to control it. Like you can give yourself better odds, but ultimately there's nothing you can do. And also I don't believe in not living your life just to have a like you, you have to live where you're at. You can't just look towards some sort of amorphous ephemeral future. No. You can't be so tightly in control of what you want to happen that you let go of what's happening now or you lose sight of the importance of being in the now. Which is so interesting because I also thought there was something in that about the way that we kind of drown our lives in, I don't know, stimulation. Like phones, shows, background noise, music. I've always got my headphone on. Like like the other day I was on the bus and it was the first time I didn't have my headphones in. And I was like, wow, there's a lot of noises on the bus that I had no concept of because I only ever get on the bus with headphones on. I'm like, oh, who knew that all this was going on in the bus without me? You know, like mm-hmm. there's so... We try to control our existence and our environment so much with our curated feeds, with the way we present and engage with the world. But ultimately, the world is still the world right like your existence within it within that bubble doesn't mean that that is the truth of existence like that is just your truth but should it be i don't know getting a bit existential 
I love getting existential. I love it. Yeah, we do. We I think we want to have a narrative. Humans are wired for story. And I, I know I, I'm going to reference this Lisa Crohn book a lot because it's fantastic. It's more a book about brain, brain science than writing, but it also talks about how to write. Like, we want a story. We want a narrative. We want, yes, I worked myself up from the bottom, bootstrap this. Like, we love mm. that as a culture, as, as especially white Western culture. Love, We love that idea. We love the underdog as Australians and Kiwis. Love that. So we're always looking for this narrative of like, oh, it was within my control. It was within my, my fate, my destiny. Like, I, I made it happen. I bent the world to my will. When actually... Life is just a series of random, happy or unhappy accidents, and we all have to make the best of it. And sometimes we do better at that than others. Yeah. Some of us get more at the starting line than other people do, and that's just a fact. And it's awful, but it is what it is. It's how we see patterns when there often aren't patterns, and why we don't recognize true randomness. Because that doesn't align with what we think should be random. Like the way the Spotify algorithm works, apparently, they had to change it because people thought that the the randomized shuffling wasn't random enough. Because they were like, Mm. why are you playing the same song four times in a row? And Spotify would be like, well, it's random. So randomly, it could play four songs in a row. Like, you know, but the human brain's like, oh, it's not random. (laughs) Because we're looking for reasons. We're always meaning making, right? Over and over. Yeah. True randomness yeah. has a lot of repetition in it. Um, let's talk about Adam. Poor Adam. Yeah, I have a lot to say about Adam. Something that really stood out to me reading this was just the lack of control Adam has because of his poverty and how when you don't have a lot of money, so much is just taken from you. Like, it's completely beyond yes. your control. He gets this letter from Aglenby and he's just, like, immediately stressed about it. Like, he doesn't even open it because he knows this is something that he can't control. And, like, you're just constantly on the back foot. He has to work three jobs. He's always tired. He's just constantly struggling to get by. And this is just the reality of poverty. And it makes it hard for him to do anything else. He likes Blue so much, but he really struggles with her because, you know, he says he has this whole thing on page 58 Blue was another troubling thing. She was like Gansey that she wanted him to explain himself. What do you need, Adam? What do you want? And it's like, I don't think I've ever heard Blue actually doing that. And this ties into my side point of Adam being a really unreliable narrator. Um, Because he is, especially now when he's like really tired and really vulnerable. But he, he like he, he, even the things he wants, he feels like he's not allowed to have. And Ronan gets it. Ronan says it right away. Ronan picks it and is like, Adam's had such a hard time that he thinks that anything that comes without pain is suspicious. Like he can't mm. he can't look at something and be like, but this didn't hurt to get it. So Yeah, everything has to be a struggle, right? Because everything has been a yes. struggle up until this point. But I think he's like he's looking so forward to becoming someone else that he's trying to control everything he can in order to get to that outcome. Yeah. But he talks about turning down a really good job. I know. I would have taken that job. That's incredible. Like, I want to be a rally tech. Like, sign me up. That sounds great. But it's because he's he's pinned his hopes on this future that was his Mm. ticket out of here. He doesn't, he can't deviate from that. He can't Mm. see that he has other tickets out of here. And I feel like we'll see him double down on this later as well because he doesn't stop to ask himself if that dream that he had still suits the person that he is now. Like, does it still align with what you actually want? Because he can't pause to think about what he wants because he's too tired. He's so tired. When you are that horribly, horribly broken down and tired, Mm -hmm. you don't have room to think about your feelings. You don't have room to think about other people's feelings, most importantly. Like, you you don't have the bandwidth. No, he absolutely doesn't have a bandwidth, you're correct. Um, I, I feel like there's this concept with Adam is that he doesn't have anything, he doesn't own anything. 
But I also think he doesn't let himself have anything. Mm -hmm. Because talking about the... On page 57, talking about his little unit above the church, it was nothing, but it was Adam Parrish's nothing. How he hated it and loved it. How proud he was of it. How wretched it was. He has a single mattress and, like, boxes for his bedside table. And he could get other furniture there would be other furniture there are garage sales i know that there is uh like craigslist i know that the internet exists and is a thing that you can get at public libraries even back when this book was written he is choosing not to have nice things his his he yeah. keeps his environment terrible because if you don't have it you can't be taken away from you you can't lose it if you don't have it so yeah i had this weird conversation with my ex when i first started dating him because he had not unpacked a single thing in his room like everything he owned was still in boxes and he just like oh had a bit like his bed and i was like why is all your possessions in boxes and he's like well i'll probably have to move in a year because these leases are usually only a year i'm like so you're just not gonna unpack like to me and my brain like i can't live like that my my physical environment has such a massive impact on my yeah. mental health i need it to be a certain way like it's the way i control i guess it's a way i exert control on my life so the idea that you just wouldn't because you're already anticipating the loss. You're already anticipating yeah. the eventuality of it being a waste of time. You just don't do it. Yeah. Yeah, I feel that. I also need to unpack everything right away and have it in its right place. Even if I change it later, at least it has to be out of the boxes. Um, I find it really hard to live out of suitcases as well. It's all just a mess because I'm like, I don't have a place for it. I don't know what pile is the dirty pile. Like, it's just hard to do that. I unpack the day I move almost everything out of the box. Yeah, same. I'll stay up till midnight <laughs> to do it. But weirdly, when I lived in London, I never unpacked my suitcase for the like year and a bit that I lived with Frank. I just honestly lived out of a suitcase the entire time. Really? I don't know why. You were only meant to stay a year, right? Yeah, like maybe subconsciously I was like, well, this is not permanent. Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too attached. So that manifest manifested by not unpacking my suitcase. Maybe that was your it's too good to be true. Because Frank is so lovely. Yeah, bless him. Also, Adam's lack of control was Cabe's border, right? So he's made this yeah. bargain. He doesn't really know what the terms of it are. And yet he has, like, you know, these flashes of visions and, like, he sees the water and the shower going slower. He's seeing leaves and then he has this apparition. Yeah. But he also doesn't really trust his own awareness because he's also so tired, right? So what is yeah. tiredness? What is Cabe's water? He just has no control of his life. Yeah, he thinks he's he's worried about his body. He's thinking about it in terms of like his physical body. Like how many times was I hit as like in my house growing up? Like what damage has been done to me? Instead of like it's all tied in with Cave's water as well. Like this is his own bargain. This is his. But like he still has to reckon with all of the things that happened to him from someone else's mm. poor care of him. Which is why I think he reacts so badly to this situation with blue because he is so out of control he just wants this one thing to be within yeah. his control and to be easy and the fact that blue doesn't tell him why and it won't communicate with him he just he can't square with it he can't handle it yeah i mean i think in that i loved that blue i mean she was absolutely right to say no should be enough isn't it enough that i said no like yes it is absolutely enough that you said no but adam does kind of need that reassurance that it's not him yeah, like, I obviously think that if you say no to someone, that should be enough. But I also think in this particular situation, when it's someone that you've been seeing for a while 
and you've never had this conversation and you like I don't know I feel like she does owe him a little bit more in that yeah, moment it's, it's just respectful to have the conversation and be like here's my boundary and here's why yeah um but also I love when people ask can I kiss you I love that and she could have just said no or not today or you know like she could have made it nicer he could have asked and she could have been nicer but I, she is scared to death of killing him yeah like she is actively trying to choose him as we saw in the last chapter you know well she's also out of control of her own destiny right like <laughs> yeah a little bit <laughs> she has been told her whole life that she has this particular destiny and she's trying to square that but yeah i feel i feel like his temper and he, he does acknowledge that once he's made himself distant enough from being angry he wasn't even really angry with blue he just like she was just in the blast zone basically mm. so i love that he's kind of able to sort of pull himself out of that and get control of himself after it happened but the shame that comes with it is just awful and crippling i think he also like there's a, a lack of control in that because he feels this connection with his father this you know yes yeah there's this a lot nameless there. rage that they share right and how he he thinks you know is this what my father felt when he walked past my bedroom door when he saw me like all these things it's just kind of horrible it's a horrible feeling to have and to feel like you aren't in control of your your behavior and your emotions it's just it's very alienating well he's really good at compartmentalizing right because he wants to separate out these parts of himself that are not who he wants to be like he he talks about how the sham is the pathetic thing about him and i don't think there's anything wrong with wanting to change your situation but the fact that he doesn't he isn't willing to have a conversation with the with who he is now as part of growing into a different person that is where he's he's hung up because he feels like he's always going to be this inauthentic person yeah he's just striving to the end but not reckoning with the present like, he wants to be Gansey, but he'll never be Gansey. He'll always be Adam, and he needs to be an Adam that he can love and respect and, and, and be proud of before he can even think about... You know what I mean? Like, that's the important thing, is to be his best self. And, and he just doesn't understand how to do that yet. Which is very... That's a very honest feeling. That's a very true feeling. He also just has no room to do that. Like, he yeah. has no space. He's working three jobs. He is so tired... Like, there's no room for that kind of emotional reckoning. He's just surviving. That's all he's doing. I I always feel like Adam doesn't give until the end, but the fact that he accepts Gansey's invitation to this party, and he's like, it could be, it's probably a favor. Like, and he's hearing that little voice say, but nothing will come of it anyway. Like, he's in this really dark place, this dark space. But this is kind of a leaf turning over where he recognizes that what he's doing, the control he's trying to exert over his life has made the people in his life around him, the people that he really loves, like he's hurting them. Yeah. He doesn't want Blue to be scared of him. He reflects on how Gansey's having to tiptoe around every Mm -hmm. conversation just like he tiptoed around his father. And he's starting to realize that like, hey, I don't want to be that guy. I, I don't know what to do not to be that guy, but I don't want to be that guy. And that is great. Yeah, that's the first step. I think his dad also really struggled with control and not having it and not being able to control his own feelings and wanting to exert control on other people as a way of managing those feelings. Yeah. Should we talk about Ronan a bit? Oh, you know I love my boy. Yes. I love that he is able to write himself his note. I always forget where that happens in the book, but now I really thought about it. So I think I'll remember (laughs) from here on out. So he's written himself the note and he's in control of what he's doing. So he knows that he's putting it into a a real physical space. 
because he's already read it. And I love that the orphan girl is is something that helps him to have enough control to take things out of his dreams. Like he actually needs that psychopomp. Yeah, we see him really start to grow a bit more and like understand the realm of which he works in because he is afraid of his dreaming and a lot of the time, yeah. right? He's afraid of his nightmares, he's afraid of his dreaming. He doesn't really know how it works. He doesn't have a manual or anything. So he he's just working, he's creating these boundaries for, in which he can work. I feel like he's itching, like he has a level of control in the dreaming and I feel like mm-hmm. he's itching for that in the physical world as well because he he's almost not able to control his lived reality, his awake reality, right? Because he's sort of yeah. beholden to Declan and what Declan wants to do. He has to go do all these things and like school is a, well, not they're currently on holiday, but you know, school is a thing that controls yeah. him. He's so angry. Yeah, he's angry, like this nameless anger. And then he wants to lose his control even more. And that's why he's so attracted to Kavinsky, right? Because it's like this mm-hmm. complete lack of control. And then Declan's saying, you know, stay away from Joseph Kavinsky. I'm like, Declan, do you know that Kavinsky is a dreamer? Because if anyone's going to know, it's going to be D- Declan, right? 100%. I picked that up too. I think he does know. I think he's like, this guy is dangerous because he's like a dreamer slash mobster dreamer. Bad news dreamer. Like the competition to the Lynch family dreamer. It's interesting knowing Declan the way we do now and reading these bits because Rodan just makes these assumptions about where Declan is coming from. And it's like, you are not seeing him at all right but that's the control that Declan has like this front he puts up he's so controlled yeah 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 um can we talk a little bit about Ronan hating himself only at church and that being a thing that he does I what a good Catholic (laughs) it just made me laugh because I thought well if Adam had like a once a week hate-a-thon he could then go and live his life the rest of the week which is what Ronan does and I don't think it's very healthy to be honest to hate yourself ever you can feel embarrassed or upset with your actions, but you can't really hate yourself. But Rodan sits there and is like, nope, I hate myself, but this is my little privilege to do it. This is my little joyous time to really be down on myself. And then he goes out in the world and he does what he wants. Yeah, I mean, he hates himself because he doesn't know what he is. Like, even in that church scene when he's, like, going up to communion and he's like, what am I? Like, he just wants mm. to know what he is, right? And he wishes he could go back in time and change. Like, he wishes he'd got to his father sooner. Also just the fact that he's like, yeah, I'm religious because I saw the devil. I'm like, what is this thing that Niall Lynch dreamt? Like, honestly. I was like, that's not the devil, but thank you. No, it was so funny. And I had the same thing. Like, this is not about religion, my friend. This is what came out of your dad's brain. I just love it. I love that Ronan is so aware of, like, dreaming and all this stuff, but he can't see, like, he can't make that connection, being like, oh, the devil, of course my dad dreamt them. Or that moment when he's talking about, like, giving Kavinsky the glasses... And he says, surely, page 96, surely Kavinsky, Master Forger, should appreciate them. I'm like, yeah, Master Forger. Like, come on, make the connection to your bracelets, Ronan. What are you doing? Mm -hmm. But yeah, he's just got a lot going on. Amazing. I also absolutely agree with Ronan. It's not as easy as one might expect to find a street race. Most people are very boring and annoyingly sensible. (laughs) I love that passage, but I have insider knowledge on it, so I couldn't really talk about it because I did her class. And one of the covenants of the class is that uh, you kind of don't talk about what happens in Steve Butter class when mm-hmm. you have Steve Butter class. But since you're going to take Steve Butter class once you do, we can chat about it later. I just love that. I just really love that section so much because I like I am partial to the odd street race. Lolzies. Yeah, of course. But like that bit where he says, oh, and horsebound didn't count for anything. That is so true. So I drive a Mazda 3, go zero to 100 in six seconds. But I have definitely outraced people in much faster cars than me because 
It's all about the time off the line. If you get a good drag off the line, you can outrace anyone. So it doesn't matter if someone is in a faster car than you. It's all about attitude. I love that. It's been so long since I've gone over the speed limit. It is fun when you're young to just get the adrenaline up. I will say that. I love that he's like, this is what it feels like to be happy. Because actually, it's not, but I, I will accept it for now. Your happiness will come later, Ronan. You just need to feel up. And this makes you feel up. I need to feel alive, really. Yeah. This is what I love. Like, I love this section because, like, this is the connection between Adam and Ronan. Because there's that line on page 58 when Adam says, to feel awake when my eyes are open. When he's yeah. thinking about what he wants. And that is exactly what Ronan wants as well. Like, mm-hmm. they are so similar and they're exactly looking for the same things and i just love it i love it chef's kiss love it also the connection for both adam and ronan and how they long for home like adam feels sort of shamed by it right the fact that he his homesick like he feels like he shouldn't because home was such a turbulent time for him but it's also just a comfort right and ronan you know he longs for the bonds but the bonds is also a complicated thing and so they have this really complicated relationship with the concept of home but they're both always longing for it in a way no one else is yeah because monmouth manufacturing is gansey's home and he's invited them all into it and adam won't let himself in and ronan knows that it's just like a pale imitation of what home was and i feel like blue is so self-possessed and so secure in her family that home is something within her Yeah. yeah I mean, she the the whole third book is about basically her accepting that she will become an independent person who's not just a photocopy of her mother. And the fourth book is her actually having that conversation with her family. I mean, in varying degrees, of course, there's more that goes on. But yeah, for Blue, she's she's having her wobble now. Everybody's having her, their wobble in this book. This is the wobble book. But home, you're right, that home is very different for Adam and for Ronan. Adam won't let himself have a home that anyone else makes for him. Mm. And Ronan just wants to go back to the place that was the most home for him. But he will like he will accept Monmouth as a place to live. He's happy enough there. Like he seeks out Gansey when he's, you know, tired and he wants to hang out with him at Dollar City and he's unpleasant, but not so unpleasant that he isn't still allowed to stay, you know? Yeah. I love that connection between them that there's this like unspoken thing being like, Okay, Adam and Blue are working, so we'll go to Dollar City because Ronan will be grumpy, so we must we must exercise him. It's nighttime and we have to do something so Ronan doesn't go out and start trouble. It's so great. It's peak dancey. I love the softness in Ronan though. Like even in that moment when he's like freaking out because no one's blinked out and there's that moment, page 73, he laid a frozen hand over her head comforting her though he was not comforted. Like he's so soft with chainsaw Mm. and it's such a beautiful insight into Ronan. Like, you know, when he says the great thing about being Ronan Lynch is no one expected you to do the nice thing. Like he, he's just so soft and I just, I love it. I love it so much. This whole thing about home is why it absolutely kills me because I'm just restarted Call Down the Hawk because I'm getting yeah. ready for Grey Warren coming out. And there's that line where Adam says to him, you smell like home. And I just honestly flip the table, throw me in the ocean. I'm done. <laughs> like, oh, no. I can't cope with it. It's so many feelings because we're going through this like line by line. <laughs> I love that Gansey and Adam have a good enough like... Even though Adam's relationship from his point of view with Gansey, and I suppose Gansey's with Adam, it's quite complicated. You know, they're a little, you know, testy at times. But Adam still feels comfortable enough and he trusts Gansey enough to ask him about Blue. I think that is such a moment of vulnerability that he does that. And Gansey, obviously Gansey's connection with Blue that he already knows the reason why, but he can't tell him. Oh, bless. I, I love how in denial these idiots all are. So I love that 
Blue is like, I don't like him. He's just got a nice mouth or whatever. And how Gansey's like, I'm just going to obsess about the way that I talked to her the first time I met her. And, like, it's fine, right? Because everything turned out for the best. She's with Adam. But, like, I'm just going to think of a dozen different ways that could happen all the time. Like, oh, yeah, um, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then, and, you know, when that Adam's like, could you maybe talk to her? And he's like, I am a thousand percent done with this conversation. I definitely don't want to do that. But he loves Adam. So he says, yeah, okay. I'll, uh. I'll do that if yeah if, if you it want comes me to up. talk to her. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, oh, I don't want to do this, but I love this person and I will do this for them. That is such good. That is like the connection between them is so strong and sustaining. It just it makes me. That's my flip a table moment when Gansy is like, how do I do this thing to help this person? with what he needs. Also him just not telling Adam the thing, right? Because he's made this promise to Blue. I don't know if I would have done the same. Like, I wouldn't have given away Blue's secret, but I would probably have alluded to something. I don't know. Yeah, I 100% would have been like, you really should talk to Blue because I feel like it's not about you. I can't tell you why, but I can tell you that it's not about you and you should definitely ask it. You know, like, um, him just being like, no, she hasn't said anything. What? Yeah, it's mm. a hard one. I do love that he's just like, okay, I'll do that. Like, he's just so... Like, this is long-suffering parent. Mm. Also, people keeping other people's secrets. Noah tells Ronan that he knows why he's angry all the time, but he doesn't say, Ronan, you're having an attack of hormones, and all of the boys around you are hot, and that's why you want to break everything, which is what's Yeah, the second happening. secret, right? That's what I wrote in my marginalia there. Yeah, I love it. It was on page 70, and he had this whole monologue about how handsome Gansey is. Mm. Um, ordinarily he was so polished that it was bearable though because he was clearly not the same species as Ronan's rough and ready family but tonight under the fluorescent lights of Dollar City Gansey's hair was scuffed and his cargo shorts were a greasy ruin from mucking over the pig he was bare-legged and sockless in his topsiders and very clearly a real human an attainable human and this somehow made Ronan want to smash his fist through the wall this is like when we see new pictures of Lee Pace and we're just like we have to destroy something he's too handsome stop it Lee Pace honestly (laughs) you actually lose your mind a little bit yeah mm. it's it's kind of how it is and it's the attainability right like that's i think it's really key in that that section is like he's attainable he's human because normally he's like you know the king kenzie the king the prince the whatever yeah. the Arthurian legend like he's not a real touchable thing but when he's vulnerable when he's slightly mussed up it's the same when blue sees him in his glasses right it's this moment of oh he's a real person you're a human you're not like president cell phone yeah. right um, I love all shades of Gansey because he's so very careful and I think it's really lovely. I am married to a, a Gansey-esque type though, so cute. definitely a lot of that. Um, yes, no, I love I love all of Ronan's just being so angry about thinking boys are cute because relatable, honestly. <laughs> I also get angry when I think people are cute. It is annoying when people are cute. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yeah, yes, 100%. I don't want to feel feelings. Get out of here. Yeah, I'm see, drink I coffee in peace. I can very much divorce the feelings from thinking someone is cute. Like, there's no feelings involved. Pure attraction. <laughs> I think if there's anything else, I just really like so much talking about Adam. He's my in-depth as well, so I'll definitely touch on more there. Um, did you mm. have any anything else for connection or for control? No, I just love the connection between these Lynch brothers. You know, Ronan has this whole thing. The only yes. thing that's ever successfully beaten up the Lynch brother is another Lynch brother. By which mm-hmm. he means Declan and Ronan, because Matthew is not beating up anyone else. Like, let's be Guys, honest be here. holy. Like, I love that. I just love that they go to church, and they go to church basically for Matthew, and they sit in the pew together, and they have this, like, whispered conversation, and everyone around them is, like, looking at them, but everyone dotes on Matthew, and they're so, like, proud as punch about that. It's just I so... Know. Cute. I just love this little ritual that this family has, even though Declan and Ronan, like, hate each other at the moment. Honestly. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah, Declan loves Ronan so much that he can't do anything about it, which is the thing that really gets me. Like, he can't make it visible enough for Ronan. He can't he can't speak in Ronan's language enough to be like, I love you, you idiot. This is why I am the way I am. Yeah. It's so hard. Ronan makes this point about Declan only having speaking in secrets, right? Because he keeps mm. so much bottled up. Like, he's not... A, Ronan knows enough to know that Declan is not real. Like, he's putting up a front that he is very controlled. But he can't get to the why of it. So he just makes these superficial assumptions about Declan just, like being an a-hole for no reason but it's actually yeah. deeper than that like Ronan is so interesting to me because he has such so much going on like he just is a mess all of the time like so much like nonsense going on in his life but he doesn't really allow other people like he doesn't see that other people have a lot going on he's just like yeah I'm making an assumption yeah he'll absolutely destroy someone for getting him wrong but he gets mm. other people wrong all the time I also think that there's a real parallel between Adam and Declan yeah. whereas Declan is doing what Adam really wants to be successful at doing yeah and Ronan forgives Adam for this so much more and has so much more insight because it's Adam and it's it's just one of those things you can't touch your elbow with your own wrist like because Declan's his brother and he's known him his whole life he just can't he's too close to actually touch it and Adam also sort of like dislikes Declan a lot of time like you know he's a bit reticent with Declan and I think it's because he also recognizes himself in Declan but he can't yeah he can't clock onto that because that's too much he wants to be Gansey but he's never gonna beat Gansey like he just it's not you it's not your capacity that's fine let it go choose Declan emulate Declan it could be a great Declan yeah. Boring. Poor Declan. <laughs> I do love Declan. Do you have anything else for connection? No. I think we covered it all. I, I do want to talk a little bit more about Adam, but that's I'm going to save it for my end up. Cool. Do you have any tangential marginalia? Oh, it was just about Ronan being super soft. I was just obsessed Aww. with it. I just love him so much. I just want him to be my best friend forever. I had some giggly moments mm-hmm. when Adam calls Gansey to say, I think I just saw an apparition and Ronan says, uh, Ronan, yeah. I know I'm seeing an apparition right now. So <laughs> that good. That makes me laugh. And also when Gansey was talking about how he didn't actually know how old Blue was, maybe she was 22 and just very short and remedial. Yeah, that's great. They love each other all so much, but they don't know facts about each other. And that is something that it's like, um, have you ever seen that movie Before Sunrise where they meet and they have that one day and then there's Before Sunset Mm -hmm. and Before Midnight? I haven't seen the last one, but I've seen the first two. And just that like you meet someone and you can have that instant connection and feel that strongly, but then know nothing about each other. It's a bit like Lost in Translation as well, right? Like you spend this really intense couple of days with someone and then never speak to them again. Yeah, it's just a moment, right? Like, but there's a vibe. I kind of love that. Like, they just are all good friends with Blue. Um, And that's another thing I thought was really good that that Gansey, when talking to Adam about it, was like, well, Blue's not like a girl you're dating. Blue is our friend. So maybe just talk to her like a friend. Yes, thank you. The voice of reason. Dadsy coming in clutch. Communicate. (laughs) So, loving that. Um, and I think there were a few ouch moments. Yeah. Ronan saying that one of the marvelous things about being him was that no one expected him to do anything nice. Oof. After Gansey remembering his dream about Glendower, how the next day, like, it hadn't been joy, but instead the absence of pain. He couldn't forget that lightness, that freedom. And then Adam lying awake, unable to get to sleep, thinking, is everything I've done a bad decision? Was I a bad decision? Mm child you need a hug and to be told that you have value intrinsically like (laughs) i love that whole thing about it wasn't joy but it was the absence of pain because 
I used to think this all the time when people would ask, you know, what do you want? And I would say, I want to be happy. But it's actually not what I want because happiness is such a fleeting thing. Like joy is not a permanent thing. You cannot experience it all the time. Like you can't be happy all the time. So the best you can hope for actually is the absence of pain. Like mm. being content is not necessarily joy or happiness, but it's enough. I know you haven't read Jane Eyre. I think you haven't read Jane Eyre. I mean, I've I've tried, okay? Multiple times. <laughs> I understand the way I approach any classic is like I watch a good movie version first and then I read it so I can fill in the gaps. It's the only way I can get through any of it. Nah. I've seen the film, multiple films of it. I have no interest. I just find it impossible to read. It's so boring. <laughs> um, Rochester's looking at her paintings and he sort of says like, were you happy when you made these? And she's like, what does that have to do with anything? I, I was occupied I was doing it like I was in it and she's saying that she was present which I really love because like sometimes when I'm spitting and swearing and quilting 12 hour days to make a show deadline I'm sitting there going why do I do this to myself but then I love my quilts and I really do love doing it but it's not happy in the moment Mm. I'm learning to knit right now and it is sore and hard and my brain is having to do a thing that's different but I'm proud of myself because I'm doing it but I'm not happy while I'm doing it does that yeah. make sense? like you can't be happy all of the time it's literally everything though I think anything worth doing is like not actually process itself is actually not enjoyable you sort of retroactively change that because you're going to do it again mm. and like because the reward of the finished thing is enough that you're like yeah I'm happy with this but the process is work like it's always work and this is yeah. why I don't believe in the whole do something you love and you'll never work a day in your life. No, it's still work. You're not going to like that yeah. thing. Even if you love it, you're not going to like doing it every day. I'm sorry. It's just not a thing. It's not a thing. We need to rewrite that phrase. It should be something like do something that aligns with your values, that you don't carry around all the time with you, that enables you to have a comfortable life and a life outside of it. And that is interesting enough. Yeah, absolutely. That's the key. Do what you love is that's what you should do is your hobby. And like even then, maybe not. Because, like, I really love eating ice cream, but if I just did that as my hobby, it wouldn't actually be very fulfilling. Do you know what I Competitive mean? Competitive ice cream eating. And, like, I hate, I hate when I have to go for a run and I'm just standing there like, <sighs> but then I do it and I love that I've done it. Mm. And it's not actually that bad while I'm doing it. And at the yeah. end, sometimes if I've run far enough, I feel like I could face down God and just fight <laughs> God. Not successfully, but I could give it a go. So, yeah. No, like, happiness is not the be all end all. It should be part of the whole. It's like salted caramel. You need a little bit of salt to make it better. I think that's it for my tangential. Did you have anything cool. else? No. All right. Do you have in-depth? I do have in-depth. So mine is on page 72. And it is when Ronan is listening to Gansey having the conversation with Adam on the phone where Adam is accusing Gansey of, like, renegotiating his rent. And Ronan's like, well, you know, if he actually just thought about it, he'd realize that it lines up a bit more that obviously it was me. But no one ever expects I'm doing nice things. Anyway, and he says on page 72 as the justification for his behaviour, The thing was, Ronan knew what a face looked like just before it was about to break. It seen it in the mirror often enough. Adam had fracture lines all over him. Great line. Love everything about it. So in terms of themes, I think it's just the control that sometimes you're just holding on to something so hard to keep going but you're actually not in control of it at all. Like something's going to tip you over the edge and you don't know what that thing is going to be. And like Ronan in this moment has gone, I can take this thing that's going to tip Adam over the edge and I can like remove that from the equation. Yeah. So he's like exerting a little bit of control. And it's also connection because like Ronan is paying so much attention. Like he's made that connection himself to see like, oh, this letter, this is going to be bad news for Parrish. I better fix it. Right. So love that. Love everything about it. But I think what it reminded me of is depression. And recognizing the moment 
before you lose yourself or when you've already lost yourself. Because sometimes depression sneaks up on you and you don't know. And you might just catch a glimpse of yourself in a mirror or you might catch a glimpse of your surroundings and you'll go, oh, actually, what's going on here is that I am horribly depressed. Because you've seen it in yourself before and I think that's the key. Like, Ronan knows what it looks like because he recognises it in himself. And I know what my depression looks like because I have been there before. Like, once you've been to the, you know, the rock bottom, it's a lot easier to recognise the descent before you get to said rock bottom again. So this is just something that I thought of when I was reading that. And like, I think going forward, what I want to remember is don't wait until you fracture. Don't just keep pushing on. Like you can stop it beforehand. When you first see the signs, there are things you can do. There are steps you can take. Don't wait for yourself to fracture. Thank you, Jen. Oh, poor Adam. I know. And I love that Ronan is just like, well, we're going to fix this in our own weird little sneaky way. Well, he knows he can't go to Adam directly. So he's like, I will manipulate a nun, which I also love. I love that Adam's like, Ronan would probably know what she is, like sub nun or something. <laughs> sub nun. Sub nun. I love it. And obviously she's not a nun if she's a missus. Like, bless Adam. Having no clue about <laughs> sub nun. <laughs> Just makes me think of like sound of music when those nuns steal like the car parts and like forgive us mother for we have sinned. It's just like between sound of music and um, call the midwife, I sort of think nuns are very naughty in general. Nuns seem very cool based on popular media. <laughs> Look at Dairy Girls, like she's dope. Yes. Love her. Yeah. Love a good stuff. Sister Michaels, she's amazing. <laughs> hey, season three is out in Australia. Is it out? I know it's on Netflix. Well? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm going to watch it this week and I will send you all of the gifts as soon as you have watched it. I'm very excited. Excited. Um, what's your in-depth marginalia? Okay, so mine is about Adam because this is just Adam week in the mm-hmm. Gen Z household. Uh, so I chose two from page 66 and page 67. Um, and this is after he has basically exploded at Blue and kicked a box and she's gone, if you can learn to be human, I'll be out mm. the hallway waiting for you. So on page 66, he said, he made himself stay where he was. After a moment, he calmed down enough to see how his anger was a separate thing inside of him, a dingy surprise from his father. And then on page 67, he's talking about how he'd never escaped, not really, too much monster blood in him. He'd left the den, but his breeding betrayed him. Now, I think it relates to the themes because this anger, he's approaching it like a loss of control. And as we've discussed at length, Adam really likes to be in control of things. He's very logical. He wants to take things apart. He wants to know how they work. He's a mechanic at heart and he wants to know how things work. And everyone does get angry, but not everyone explodes. So he connects his father's explosive anger with his own. Like he calls it a dingy surprise gift. Um, And he fails to connect it to behavior. And he said thinks about it as like something that is inherent or inborn Mm. in him. Like he Mm -hmm. calls it monster blood. And so he's treating himself like he's fundamentally broken, like he's making the wrong connection there. Um, And this reminds me of how there's this concept in, in, in real life, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, like people who are raised in unstable environments often end up either modeling that or seeking that out in their adult lives. Mm. So, you know, some people who are treated badly as kids end up being treated badly by their partners because that is what is safe and that is what is normal and that like unpredictable unstable life is actually more comforting because it is the known quantity than like a good life because when people will treat you with the care and respect you should have you sort of go like when's the next shoe gonna drop and what are the strings and what are the caveats you don't actually know how to accept that love and care when it's healthy Mm. for example when I was growing up we had a lot of family struggles around financial stability and it wasn't until I was in my 30s and had gone through like a ton of therapy that I could just 
have a savings account. I, I used to really feel anxiety about having any money set aside. I would immediately try and turn all of the money into stuff because once the money is gone, the money is gone. But if you have stuff, you've got it. Mm -hmm. So like to me, a savings account was just like, well, that's just asking for something to happen to it. <laughs> you know? mm. I had to really work on that. So I think going forward, I really think that Ronan kind of nails it when he says that Adam is afraid of any path that isn't like strewn with thorns. So I just want to remember for myself and for everyone else to remember that legacy is a choice. I can't help the way I grew up, but I have a choice now whether I let myself like continue on the bad habits that I grew up with or I can, like Adam does, take a long pause and dismantle those bad feelings. I have had the time and support and the resources to do this, and I really want the same for Adam, and I really want the same for everyone, so. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It reminds me of Simon Snow. You know how, like, he can't stand people being, like, Baz being soft and nice to him, and he can't stand mm. being touched softly because he's Not just like. Gentle. Yeah, because... Because he's had this trauma his whole life, right? Like, he can't live in a reality because that's not what he knows. It doesn't feel safe. And yeah, that's what that reminds me of. But also, like, this whole idea of, like, breaking the cycle comes from that, right? Because we just keep yeah. repeating the behavior. And, like, it's so easy to just, like, with my story for the start of the episode, it's so easy to, if I just had gone, well, this is just how we are. This is just our behavior. Like, this is just my yeah. family. We're just always going to be like this. Because it almost absolves you of any responsibility you don't have to change anything if it's your like mm, it's just in my genes yeah but, yeah yeah and adam is afraid of it and that's what like it makes i think it makes it harder because he's scared that it is how he's going to be rather than saying i don't want it to be like this what can i do yeah he's looking at it like it's i can't control it behavior yeah yeah you totally can i will say and my sisters can all attest that i was an absolute horrible rage monster and now i am barely grumpy ever and even when i am <laughs> i immediately just remove myself and go somewhere else and like be grumpy quietly on my own time <laughs> so it is yeah possible. and like honestly it is possible to change that sort of thing like even my dad you know like for all his volatility and he you know he was a difficult man but he's been going to therapy the last couple of years and like honestly the change in him has been remarkable the change in himself like even at his age you know it's never too late you don't have to accept it, really it. Isn't. you can always you can always take steps to to make your life and yourself better you can always yeah. be the person you want to be it's never too late might, yeah just might look differently than you envision it hmm proud of your dad for going through and like taking steps though that's hard to do especially when like everyone kind of tacitly supports it especially in his family like ah, ah it's big yeah I mean it's hard when you've grown up in that sort of toxic masculinity space as well my dad I think a lot of it comes from the fact ah, sorry dad uh, hearing all your dirty laundry but he's just like an extremely <laughs> soft person like he has a very soft underbelly he's very easily hurt and so I think a lot yeah. of that is stems from that so it's nice for him to like unpack that I always think the same is true of me, that I'm so sensitive that everything is like a battle just so I'm not hurting more. Mm. Like, that's what it really feels like. It doesn't feel like I'm being mean to hurt people. It feels like I need to protect. So I immediately got angry. Um, yeah. And no one like no one really saw that that was why, but they felt the anger because I was very good at making the anger felt. But, but they didn't yeah. see the hurt. Yeah. Oh, let's be let's be kind to our soft people. Yeah, absolutely. Let's take that away from this episode is just be kind to yourself yeah. speak kindly to yourself because you can hear every thought absolutely and say good things about yourself because that counts you can't go around calling yourself terrible yeah uh who do you want to spotlight this week i am spotlighting my boy ronan 
because he just wants honesty. Like, this is his number one thing, and he actually gets it from no one. He never gets it from anyone else. Like, no one is ever honest with him, really. Yeah. And that's the only thing he wants, and I think that contributes to a lot of his dissatisfaction and anger. So, you know, Ronan, big hugs to you. You know I got you. If no one else got you, I got you. (laughs) Ronan is awful, but he's lovably so, so I rate that. Um, who would you like to spotlight? I'm going to spotlight Adam because mm. I was an am Adam in some a lot of ways, I guess. And it breaks my heart to think of someone being in the, the really scary and hard spaces that I've already gotten through. And I just really want better for him. Mm. I want him to have all of the joy and contentment and security. Yeah. But to live authentically as well. And I don't know if we're going to see that. And I'm really scared for Grey Warren. So I know. I just thinking a lot about Adam this week, knowing that the end of the series is really coming and what we get is what we get. He just needs to allow himself to be happy. And this is the thing that Adam doesn't do because he's like chasing this dream that's probably not even really his anymore. And he doesn't know how to give up on it because that feels like betraying himself. But oh, I don't know. I've got I'm going to trust the process i'm gonna trust that we're gonna get what we need at the end of this cycle but i will be calling in sick to work sorry everyone (laughs) well steve fodder is gonna get a letter from me with a lot of yelling mostly probably good but uh, yeah i'm sure it's gonna be a lot she's got our hearts in her hands and she's just gonna squeeze i can tell but maybe it won't be so bad well next week we'll be reading chapters 13 and 20 through the theme of compromise which is something everyone can do a bit more of so let's see how that goes (laughs) yes thank you so much for potting with me today jen i had a great time thank you always lovely and i love that we got to talk about adam who needs all the love and support yeah i'm trying to be gentler on him but because i'm hard on myself i'm hard on him so i'm trying to remember Mm, that's hard alright well we'll see you next week I'll see you next week can't wait bye Bye. thanks for joining us today Marginally Pod is written edited and produced by Jen D and Jen V with additional editing and production support by Simon B if you enjoyed our chat you can subscribe to Marginally Pod on your podcast platform of your choice your support means the world to us we'd love to hear from you you can email us at hello at marginaliapod.com our music is by Scott Buckley. For extended show notes or to find out more about us, visit us at www.marginaliapod.com.